Hey, you're listening to Angel Nears the Podcast. Angel Nears is a Silicon Valley community for startup builders where founders and operators share their firsthand knowledge on how to build and scale startups. I'm your host, Oleg Kujikov, and our guest today is Sergio Aguirre, founder and CEO of Echopixel, a software platform that enables physicians to use a digital twin of patients using standard medical images to create a 4D interactive hologram. I'm excited to bring Sergio on to talk about the developing technologies that transform delivery of patient care and that also enable precision health. Before we get into all that, Sergio, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Excited to have you, and I'm excited to learn a little bit more about you. So to get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and just how you got started as an entrepreneur? Uh, Sure. So I'm originally from Mexico, and uh, I did my bachelor's and master's uh, double E. And, uh, you know, as as an electrical engineer, I was graduating around the time of the internet boom, and seeing all these startups was very attractive. From my perspective, I thought I was going to start a company in my 30s, but I was compelled to start a company in my last year of my bachelor's by one of my professors. And uh, I ran my first company as I did my master's uh, down in Mexico. Uh, We were doing some things on 3D. And uh, that's how I got started. In that company, we took a lot of lessons and we were very successful, very, had a lot of fun. And uh, was very curious about the medical space and the applications of, of visualizing things in, in a 3D interactive environment. And that's what got me to, to Echopixel. Nice. So I don't want to assume people go to college at all ages. I'm assu- like, I kind of assume that you were younger than 30, right? So how old were you when you started your first company? Oh, gosh. So this was my last year of bachelor's. I think I was probably 22. Oh, man. Yeah. So... A little bit ahead of schedule if you were planning on on starting a company yes. when you were thirty. I thought about it a lot. Yeah, so it's something you always wanted to do. Can you talk about jumping in the water a little early there? Yeah, well, very quickly, right? I think as a kid, I I had the blessing that um, you know I was very exposed to the U.S. And uh, I was seeing all these companies. I was also very close to California and particularly to a a town called San Diego, where you would see all this naval technology flying around in jets. So I was very attractive to technology. I was seeing people build companies. And also my father would invite me to his business meetings to translate for him. And so when I was going to college, I had a decision before myself whether I would go into business or engineering. And uh, I told my father I was going to do the the hard stuff, the engineering stuff. But uh, business has its own challenges as well. Yeah, get the hard stuff out of the way. Jumping in the water metaphor, I understand you spent some time as a swimmer. That takes a lot of time, focus, and energy out of your life. Can you talk about swimming and are there any parallels between what you were doing as a swimmer and and maybe what you're doing today as an entrepreneur? Uh, Yeah, definitely. I mean, as a kid, I started swimming when I was very young. Competitively, I started swimming when I was seven or eight. And and it was really, it's, it really is something that I love and enjoy. If there was one thing that I would like to do more is swim. But anyway, the lessons that I've taken out of, of competitive swimming, I got an opportunity to swim all the way through college is, is really, you know, when you're a competitive swimmer, you're thinking about going to the Olympics. So these are, you know, long-term plans of eight to 10 years. So that has been very helpful in, in how I think about things. I think about uh, goals and, and what it takes on a year-to-year basis to get to them. And I think um, from my perspective, it's helped me reduce that fear factor of starting something because I can visualize uh, steps to success in, in some way. And, you know, when I was around that 22, when I was in my last year of bachelor's, I was contemplating taking some opportunities in large companies like Sony or Schlumberger that would recruit, recruit very heavily at, at my college or starting a company. And um, it, I said, you know, why not? Uh, it'll probably be successful when I'm in my 30s. <laughs> and uh, uh, here I am <laughs> now in my 40s. 
Awesome. Well, you mentioned your company and we kind of talked about uh, what they do off top. I imagine you as a, as a founder give this like elevator pitch all the time. But for, for us and the listeners, uh, can you talk about maybe the problem you're trying to solve at EchoPixel and talk about the solution as well? Sure. So uh, what EchoPixel does is a uh, software platform that uh, allows physicians, really any doctor, to work with standard medical images. Think about a CT, an MRI, or an ultrasound, and experience that data as a hologram. So usually doctors are interpreting 2D images, even though a CT or an MRI is a 3D volume data set. And so not every physician is trained to do that. In fact, only one type of physician, a radiologist, is, is trained to do that. So anyway, the advantage of being able to experience a, a digital twin of a patient as a hologram is that it gives physicians a very easy understanding of the spatial rela relationships of anatomy or potential lesions or problems, uh, and it just makes it very easy for them to be very, very good clinicians. In particular, this is very valuable for minimally invasive procedures. So think about surgeries where you're guiding precision instruments to a very precise location. All of that is guided by images. And, you know, just so that you imagine, right, our software allows you to have a, this holographic experience of, of, uh, of a patient. So think about if you're in front of your laptop, think about that space between the laptop display and the keyboard, you double click on a patient name and a patient's heart is going to be floating on top of that keyboard. You can move around the uh, laptop and see around that heart and reach in and touch that heart. So that's what our software allows physicians to do. And so when, when they're doing this in a procedure, it helps them really understand where their tools are. It gives them this enhanced a spatial awareness of their target and where their tools are, and it just gets them better outcomes. Yeah, so this is like, sounds so futuristic, it's like blowing my mind. But when you say hologram, I think of like, maybe like Star Wars, and, and maybe, you know, like, a projection. So, so you're, you're saying these digital twins are being projected like into the air above where you're trying to work? Yes. Yeah, so our software allows you to use these displays and you don't need to wear a headset. You don't need to wear glasses. This is something that you see a patient's heart or somebody's brain floating in the air. It's not something that's projected, but our software allows us to control how light comes from the display and hits the user's eyes. So you really experience it as this hologram pretty much like you would imagine it uh, or see it in Star Wars. It's just uh, a single user system. Incredible. And, and I don't know if you already said this, but are you wearing any kind of glasses or, or headset or is it just projected? Or you know, when, when we started EchoPixel, we were anticipating a lot of these hardware devices. So I had a lot of ideas of hardware in terms of, you know, the VR headsets or augmented reality headsets or even displays. Mm -hmm. But in some of the initial research that I did, I saw some very interesting technology being done by large companies. And I said, I need to get on the software side because those devices won't become a clinical solution unless they have the right software. So our software can run on any of these devices, but from user feedback, we've ended up shipping uh, devices that don't require any headgear or glasses. It's just this naked eye holographic experience that we enable today. That's incredible. Can you talk about how it works a little bit more? Uh, I, I had a projector myself, and you know, you're always projecting onto like a screen or something. But how does these how do these holograms? How are they projected? Are they projected, and and are they just projected into the air? Well, you know, you always experience things in three D, and so your brain is accustomed of uh, into processing the right sensory inputs that to give you this experience. So what our software does is drive these sensory inputs uh, to your visual system. Obviously, there's a left and right image signal that we create. There's also something called uh, motion parallax, which is essentially tracking your head position and orientation as well as your eye location and orientation. And, uh, and that's probably 
as strong, if not a little bit stronger than the left and right eye perspective. So anyway, to, to keep it simple, what we're doing is we're creating, we're creating an image that has a mixture of pixels that are being directed, directed to each of your, the end user's eyes. So some pixels are directed to your left eye, some pixels are directed to your right eye. And it's done in a way that your brain recognizes it, and uh, and then your brain says, "Oh, this is floating at this location," and uh, that location is something that we calculate specifically. We we actually calculate that physical three D space where you can see the the data, uh, and that's why it feels like this hologram, even though it's not being projected. I mean, that sounds incredible. Thank, thanks for breaking it down. I want to talk about some of these some of these big terms and, and how they uh, how they relate to healthcare. So, can you help me understand like what's the difference between AR, VR, MR, and then once we understand that, we can kind of talk about you know how these data visualizations can improve healthcare decision making. Sure, you know I personally think a lot of these things um, have a are very hand heavy handed in terms of marketing terms, but. VR has traditionally been used to define when you have a, a headset that covers all of your visual system. So you only see your visual system is your, your visual field of view is completely enveloped by this headset. So it's fully immersive. Augmented reality, on the other hand, you're wearing some sort of hardware or eyeglasses that will allow you to overlay data on some images or, or even some data overlaid on images that you're capturing through a phone, for instance. And then mixed reality is trying to match what you see in the real world with digital data. So in that sense, what I was trying to explain of our software is very close to that definition of mixed reality you have a way of understanding the 3D space of the real world that is visible, and you will overlay at a particular location something that is 3D or that you experience as 3D as digital data. I got it. So let's dive into to, to these one at a time. Uh, let's start with virtual reality. It seems like you know putting on a headset might be kind of limiting. That is totally immersive. How can clinicians use virtual reality in a, in a clinical setting today? Yeah, you know, I think uh, virtual reality has done a great job at uh, getting into some very good use cases. There's a lot of people doing training and, and training in the medical field is a very complicated and very costly endeavor. So virtual reality you're basically creating these video games that allow medical students or sometimes professionals to rehearse and train on some techniques. The other application that I've seen be very successful in virtual reality is something for post-traumatic stress disorder. So people that have had very difficult experiences benefit from having a, let's say, a subdued or very controlled virtual environment that lets them confront those fears. And so those are the, the two use cases that we've seen with, with high success in virtual reality uh, and that are conducive to that isolative and fully enveloping immersion. Right. So, okay. So two kind of use cases, the first one's training and the second would be somewhat limited, right? It's a special use case. It's almost like an edge case for people that, you know, have post-traumatic stress disorders and, and, and could benefit by that all immersive experience. How about the, the next runner up? How does augmented reality fit? Is, is it a better fit when it comes to delivering patient care or are we still not going to see that in medical offices? Yeah, well, let me just emphasize a little bit, right? That post-traumatic stress disorder use case, I, I think these are patients that have very significant challenges and, 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 uh, Anything that can help them overcome it is very, very valuable, especially because you're talking about situations where you're helping a patient maybe not need drugs or very strong narcotics to control their their trauma. 
So I think that one is a very nice use case that uh, we personally like and a very clear benefit to patients. Uh, I think on the augmented reality side, interestingly enough, this is a space that has been used very early on for medicine, maybe not in the way that uh, the tech community likes in terms of you know a head mount display or different things, but in neurosurgery and some uh, other applications, there is a device called a surgical microscope. So think about a, a doctor looking down through some microscope device, and then they overlay some data through that microscope. Traditionally, this has been used in, in neurosurgery, and neurosurgeons are very, very happy with those surgical microscopes. So this has been around for many years, well before you know the term AR became popular. This had been in use for some time now. But still, it's, well, there's use cases. I guess the last one we want to talk about is mixed reality. Does it also have like a specific use case segment or could this be used uh, for, for wider purposes? Uh, what, what's your take? Well, you know, I think um, mixed reality, we've, uh, I think the overall, the healthcare industry has arrived at the conclusion that there's a, a big opportunity in uh, you know, surgeries and minimally invasive procedures or, or therapies. Because you need to be able to navigate a patient's body and deliver drugs or devices or some sort of energy as a therapy. So all of that is done traditionally with image guidance. That could be x-ray, it could be be ultrasound, it could be all all sorts of different modalities. The challenge there is that uh, if you truly want to be precise about that delivery, you can do a lot of planning, but the planning changes very rapidly as you're going into the body of the patient. So that's a very strong need of mixed reality. The other thing is the patient's anatomy and body or organs are going to be moving. And so um, that, again, is is a very uh, important challenge. So there's a very big opportunity in mixed reality to be able to translate what a patient's organs or tissue is doing at a particular time in a minimally invasive procedure. And quite honestly, minimally invasive surgery is really a space that's about to grow dramatically. And uh, there are different tools and different devices that just require a very different level of, of precision than what currently one would believe is available in, in, in ORs across the world. So that, that is what uh, we've seen uh, be the, the large opportunity here. Yeah, so it sounds like each of these technologies, virtual reality, augmented reality, and mixed reality, all kind of have their own distinct differences and uses and, and, and potentially advantages. Do you think one has more opportunity when it comes to kind of changing the landscape of medicine, whether it be how we look at things digitally or how we deliver care? Is one, is one of these more, more full of opportunity or, or what's your take there? Well, our conclusion is that mixed reality has a very big opportunity to impact healthcare because just the the drivers of the market are are that higher dependence on minimally invasive procedures, right? So so you're really relying on imaging to deliver a surgery or or a therapy. The other thing is hospitals are going to become decentralized, so the ability to do these procedures remotely through some sort of telemedicine approach means that you need to be able to communicate that uh, 3D information remotely and, and mixed reality gives you that ability as well. And, and so there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of potential impacts there. The, the other one is the ability for more physicians to be able to perform at a very high competency level is uh, is a very big opportunity. Right now, a lot of these minimally invasive procedures rely on on physician experience, 
And uh, that can be a challenge because these are great new approaches to deliver care. But adoption is really limited to a handful of centers where you have the expertise or the ability to build a very large team to support them. And so what we found is that the vast majority of physicians are very, very good doctors, very good physicians. But many times we're asking physicians to solve multiple problems besides the clinical problem at hand. And, and, and so just imagine, right? Um, let me give you an example that, that we at EchoPixel are very familiar with. Uh, so we've decided to get into cardiac procedures. So the heart is a complex 3D structure uh, by itself, but it's also constantly moving. The heart is beating. You have valves that are opening up and closing. And, um, and then the blood has to flow in a certain direction. So we like to say that you need to understand the three Fs of cardiology, the form, function, and flow. If you want to imagine this, you can use your left hand and just uh, make a fist and open up your hand uh, dynamically. So let's say one time a second. And think that you have um, a little something is, is wrong in one of your fingers. And uh, you'd like to put an instrument to one of those fingers very accurately as your hand is opening up and closing and touch a particular point accurately so that you don't damage any neighboring tissue, uh, which can be very dangerous. And so as the heart is moving and you're doing this with 2D images, the thing or the structure, your target that you want to hit is coming in and out of plane and your tool is coming in and out of plane. And so it makes it very difficult. That doctor that spent a lot of years at school training is now essentially trying to solve a 3D problem from 2D images in a high stress environment. Uh, and he's not really focused on that much on the actual clinical procedure. He's trying to just resolve this 3D problem, right? So when you give them the opportunity to see in 3D and despite the movement, see very clearly where that target is, where their tool is, that enhanced situational awareness allows them to better control their tools, better adapt on the fly to conditions that are changing and very precisely drive their tools to deliver an implantable device or, or, or some therapy that they need to perform. That sounds incredible. Can you help me understand like how you're creating these models? Um, I know we mentioned on the top of the show, they're generated from 2D images. Echopixel lets physicians experience a digital twin as a 4D hologram. Can you talk about how you create that? I know, I know we did mention it at the top, but can you talk maybe about generating this and, and, and how it's different from current 3D solutions? Sure. So, so first, uh, I, as the, the engineer in me, always kind of uh, reacts to the word models. So we don't create models. <laughs> Our software takes raw data, takes raw CT, raw MRI, raw ultrasound, and renders it in real time into this holographic experience. And so what that means is that, uh, you know, you can see that in 3D, you'll see all that three-dimensional holographic experience, but the 4D is that if the data has movement uh, and you can achieve this with almost all types of medical images, you can describe that 4D time sequence of the heart beating very precisely. You can, you could say, at, you know, usually they're defining 10 points across a heart cycle. So you can very accurately say this time point number seven is systole of the heart cycle, which is a particular point of the heartbeat. And so that's what we mean by, by, uh, by the 4D holographic experience, right? Now, on the other hand, we're taking advantage, and this is a little bit of a lesson of my experience in, of working in 3D for so long. There is a lot of technology out there to be able to do virtual reality, augmented reality, whatever you want. But there's not a lot of content, right? So if you Google VR and AR, you will see a lot of headlines that there's 
content or this company is building this this content. Again, my the engineer in me is I am very bad at art, and I'd like to say I'm artistically handicapped, so I don't do content. But what I liked about the medical space is that it is a space where there is already infinite content. Just to give you an example, right? In the U.S., there are 600 million imaging studies done per year, which at least half of them are 3D data sets by design, meaning the CT scanner, the MRI, or the ultrasound is capturing 3D information and is sitting on servers at hospitals, just not consumed in 3D, it's consumed in 2D. So you could go back five years and you have over a billion unique video games of content that you could give physicians to work on. So that's what drove me to medical. That was one of the strategic things that drove me to medical was that here was infinite content to drive through these technologies. So the, so the other thing, so, so we take advantage of that, right? And there's two things that we're doing there. For diagnostic imaging, all of that data is stored in something called DICOM, which is, to put it in layman's terms, the JPEG of medicine. So we read raw DICOM and we get, get that whole volume of data and put it through our software that's going to render it to give this holographic experience that you can interact with. For real-time image guidance, which is what we're doing now in, in a lot of ORs and cath labs, which are, you know, the ORs where you're, you're, you're having a minimally invasive procedure, that takes live images, which is also 3D. Ultrasound right now is a very advanced technology, very mature, where you have all sorts of sensors that can give you very high resolution 4D data, meaning 3D volumes in a sequence that will allow you to describe, you know, very, very accurately reconstruct the heart or the liver, or basically any kind of uh, organ and tissue and see it live. And so um, what our software's been built around is to tap into all of these different types of images that are out there that are pretty much standard, bring them into an environment where we can present it to any physician and just let them be physicians, right? Uh, it's really gratifying to you know, get a text message from one of the doctors that are using us and say, hey, I found that vessel. It helped us avoid injuring the airway of this patient or something like that. So it's a very powerful tool that uh, has a, a direct impact on, on patients and also on physicians that quite honestly spend a lot of time trying to make sure to do the best for their patients. Yeah. So much to get to. And, and I kind of want to talk about how you got to this point. Let's start with the, let's start with the story. Like, how did you start your company? I, you mentioned it was back in 2012. Uh, was it 2012? Yeah, I was working on, on Echopixel a couple of years before. 2012 was when we received our initial seed funding term sheet. Uh, and really got to work in January 2013 on this uh, full time. But anyway, it, the first company I had was doing 3D. It was doing a lot more hardware. I was doing a little bit of software to, very, I mean, very, very basic software. Think about plugin type stuff to facilitate marketing videos, uh, sometimes training videos in 3D a little bit of oil exploration and something we, we did a lot of geography information systems. So this is a different market now where you take aerial photography and a lot of people want to understand that terrain in 3d, but you know, all of these markets would require very heavy lifting and just creating the content. And, uh, and so I, I was frustrated by that in the sense that there was some value but it was always based on the content. And um, I did have an opportunity during that my, my first company to have a, an executive program uh, at the University of Texas. They actually were collaborating down in Mexico with my university. And uh, at that point, I was curious about an endoscope, you know, a, an endoscopy device. Think about like a rod that has fiber, fiber optic 
channels on it that you can see through and you can record video, but doing it in 3D. At that point, I was very concerned about doing animal testing and being very naive about the FDA process. I said, I don't want to do that. But somebody introduced me to medical images in radiology, and uh, it looked very similar to some experiences that we had had in the oil industry. And I said, oh, I I could do that. (laughs) So I started building a business plan around this and a vision and kind of like said, "Uh, this is going to take, it's a big idea, and I'm just going to go into it. And uh, it's been really rewarding, I have to say. Definitely, it's taking that uh, long-term view of things in terms of changing the, the, the way that doctors work and use data that they're trained very rigorously to consume in 2D. And, uh, but it, but it's, been, it's been a great ride. Yeah. Talk about your company today. Why is now the right timing for, uh, for EchoPixel? Well, you know... Number one, VR, AR, MR, these are terms that are now mature. Uh, So uh, it's not, uh, it's something that uh, both patients, but also doctors are expecting that this is the type of care that they should be having. The other thing is that the image resolution and the image characteristics of the the imaging that's being used in medicine is, has really become very high resolution. So that infinite content that I was talking about, it is real. It is out there, and uh, you can get very, very exciting types of images. The other thing is minimally invasive therapies or procedures is really the future. I have to say, you know, we were very surprised when we started getting into surgery to the type of still reliance of the majority of hospitals in the U.S. and across the world in in open surgery. And, you know, the last time I checked, it is 2021. So I would expect in the future, most of things would be minimally invasive surgery. So that is the drive. And so those types of uh, uh, procedures, again, are really driven by imaging. And the instruments to deliver them very precisely are becoming 3D tools. So usually tools for surgery are very, I don't want to use the word rudimentary, but they're very simple tools. They're very kind of rigid objects. But to achieve precision, they're now changing to something that you can direct. They're controlled and you can direct in 3D. So there's a fundamental need to see and interact in 3D to be able to drive these instruments precisely and fulfill that precision health uh, goal of, of these surgeries. And so we, we just see these elements coming together into, into the space that uh, we've been pursuing. Yeah, so along those lines of precision health, and you're saying the future is these minimally invasive surgeries, talk about the value proposition. Is it improved... In, you know, improved probabilities when it comes to the to the non-invasive surgeries? Is it reduced costs? Is it all of the above? Am I missing something? Talk about the value prop. Yeah, no, there's a, there's, there's a tremendous value prop here. So number one, for the patient, if you, unless, you know, just focusing on, on cardiac surgery, the difference in, in an open heart cardiac surgery versus a minimally invasive therapy means that you might go home the same day or the next day versus staying in the hospital a week or two because they they cracked open your chest. So that is a tremendous benefit to the patient. The trauma of of really opening up your sternum is is a very big, big challenge. And you want to, you know, at the same time, one needs to realize the majority of, of patients that are having these cardiac procedures are very elderly patients, right? You're talking about at least 65 and older, but the majority are probably in their 70s. So um, minimally invasive therapies are definitely have a very strong patient benefit. From a, a health economic story standpoint, you're talking that the less time a patient is in a hospital, the less expense it is for that hospital, and thereby greater return. And so it's really just a higher value of, of that procedure. 
the challenge is uh, being able to deliver on that precision health, right? So a lot of times you might have some complications where, you know, neighboring tissue or organs were damaged. And so instead of staying or instead of leaving them that day, you're, you have a patient stay a week or maybe two, three days. So you're not really realizing yet the full benefits of this and also the limited access of, of, uh, of these therapies across the, the market. So there's a, there's a large benefit in terms of uh, the patient experience, but also the optimized use of healthcare resources to, to manage and extend the life of these patients. All right, next, let's look under the hood. I'd like you to, to describe the essence of your innovation. We've used a lot of terms, AR, VR, and, and what it sounds like what you're doing is mixed reality. Is there any, I, I know you kind of mentioned like a lot of those terms are kind of buzzwords and they come with a lot of baggage. Are there any kind of other technologies that you're, that you're using that you'd like to highlight? Or, or if you want to dive into your tech stack, uh, that'd be interesting too. How are you guys innovating and what kind of technologies are you, are you making use of? Sure. I mean, so directly for our software, right? Um, you want to think about our software as uh, a bit of a different software architecture. Uh, most software that's in the medical imaging space has been thought about to create one single high-quality image. And so it's a very slow software stack. And what we've done is we've kind of created this hybrid architecture where you have at its core kind of like a video game engine to do very high speed rendering, but it does it in a way that it's tapped into this data stream of those medical formats that we're getting of raw data. And it's opened up so that you can adjust the rendering parameters so that, you know, because a CT or an MRI or whatever imaging, medical imaging you have, will just have that volume of data, that volume of the patient. So if you wanted to see the heart, you can turn on a filter that allows you to see the heart. If you want to see the lungs, you turn on a different filter and it'll show you the lungs. And then, so, so that's, well, the second part of our technology stack, the third one is we have a very advanced quantification tool set that allows you to size and measure almost anything, you know, just a, from a simple line to a volume in 4D. And, um, and then right now we are in the process of extending this and, and connecting it to the network so you could share it remotely. And so think about some of these procedures happening remotely through our interface or training people remotely through a lot by by seeing what the expert does on a real case which is really what how physicians are trained right now they basically are shadowing surgeons and watching what they do over their shoulder and uh and so that those are the the things that we we have on our on our stack going ahead, and obviously we've got some AI stuff there for improving image quality and, and just detecting some things that uh, we've been developing as we as we get more data into the system here. I mean, yeah, all those technologies sound incredible, and we'll we'll start with this. Talk about how competitive the market is. You know, you're you're doing so many innovative things. Are there other people that are, I mean, I'm sure there's competition, but what's your competition doing? Yes, definitely there is competition. And uh, I think it's great if we've always seen competition as a validator of the market. And uh, I like to joke that uh, you can't be a market leader, at least if, if there's no competition. So uh, you need at least another horse to, to win. Uh, so in that sense, uh, you know, what we see in the market is, Different groups have taken a slightly different approach, right? Some groups have been very enamored with the hardware that's out there. So you have some companies that are very enamored with, say, a HoloLens. And, you know, they will make some technical choices that will make it difficult to get some medical data into the HoloLens in the sense that, you know, you might have to create a model and that allow, you know, that just delays the ability to be able to get to a procedure or get to a surgery there are others other competitors that are taking uh you know have come at the problem from the hardware perspective in the sense that they have 
a unique device of hardware that uh, there's a, you know they they believe is the right solution. You know, like I said before, we saw this as the software is really the enabler, and uh, our software has been designed to be able to very quickly be able to run on any device. Quite honestly, like I said, you know, we ship right now with these devices that are these flat panel screens that we can control through our software to give you this experience. But we are very open to collaborate with different, and, and we collaborate with different hardware manufacturers. And we're believers in the space where, you know, the headsets will become glasses and and most likely contact lenses in in some time. And so for us, it's really about which is the software solution that's going to exist within those devices that will better impact patients' uh, lives. Uh, and that's the, the, the winning formula in the, the medical device space. Yeah. How many years until uh, augmented reality contact lenses? Well, you know, there are some companies working on that. And very early, but they are out there. I uh, I don't know. I'd hate to put a number on that, but it'll happen. Uh, it'll happen in my lifetime. So you know, I like to sometimes say when I need, whenever I I need a, a heart procedure, my expectation is that I will walk into a hospital, and a nurse will greet me with a tablet, and will say, "Mr. Sergio, you are here for your heart procedure. Here is your plan." And I will see on that tablet a hologram with my heart and maybe the plan of the surgery. I will approve it on that tablet-like uh, device. They will hand that device to the surgeon that's going to do my, my procedure, and he will use that tablet-like device that will give him this hologram and, and do the procedure through it, take a picture of that, and then they will. I will wake up in the recovery room and they will show me the outcome of my surgery as a hologram and, you know, I would expect no leaks and a perfect implant <laughs> and I will approve it. So this thing, these, these things will happen sooner than we expect. I think um, the realities of, of, of the market are, are one where patients are much more, uh, want to be much more informed and in charge of their decisions. And, uh, Right now, if, if you know, we've been in situations where even explaining to family members a procedure that a you know a child will have is still sometimes done on pen and paper, and so that many times has nothing to do with the actual patient that's going to have the surgery, and so software solutions like ours can really improve that understanding and consent of the family members and the patient themselves, but also the patient satisfaction. And a lot of times after you have a surgery, you need to follow up with some recovery therapies. So really understanding the outcome of your surgery and why you need to comply with that is, is has a significant impact when you can communicate so clearly with patients. So to get to that point, you really have to enable that precision medicine at the surgery level. You need to make sure that the data flow across the hospital happens in that uh, in that platform and environment, and th and that's really our vision here is to drive it to towards that uh, that endpoint. It's a really uh, an amazing picture you paint, and 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 thank you for for sharing. I'm glad we uh, got that on record. If uh, that that's what I'm going to be expecting, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to hunt you down if uh, in in my lifetime I don't see it. <laughs> So I, I know you have uh, you've put a lot of effort into building your team at uh, at Echo Pixel. Can can you talk about uh, you know what's involved there and and how you put together your team includes industry leading PhDs, postdocs in computer science, physics, biochemistry, and electrical engineering, and a lot of industry experts. Can you can you talk about building that team and and why it's important to your success? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, you know for Echo Pixel, we've been very blessed with the team that we've uh, been able to put together. The medical space is a very in interesting space in the sense that it is a an industry that relies on collaboration. And so you need to have that physician input 
that uh, is telling you what they need and, and what the patients need. You need to have that deep engineering expertise to be able to to drive the technology. But if you're only driving the, the technology without the clinical guidance, it's, it usually doesn't go the way that it should. And then you've got the regulatory standpoint where you need to make or try and make very long-term decisions in terms of design so that you don't have to go to the FDA or, or the regulatory bodies every time that you have to, that, that you make a change. And so building this multidisciplinary team has been, again, really rewarding of this market. And uh, I see that, I mean, I'm a double E, right? Uh, but really we're looking for bioengineering people which uh, are looking for or, or have usually have a, a combination of experience. They'll have computer science, they'll have electrical engineering. Some of them will be from the mechanical engineering background. And then some of them will go into the regulatory space, which is the, the regulations that you need to meet to be able to be FDA approved. And so it's a, it's a space where you have to have this combination of expertise and make very informed decisions that uh, are driving the company in in a long-term direction. Obviously, you're still a startup, so you want to, or or we've strived to be able to be very agile and flexible. And um, I would say I pride myself in, in, in that Echopixel has been able to do that. We've been very, very agile in some of these things. And that's been very, very exciting for us. But yeah, that, that's really just the nature of the industry that we're in. If you don't have that uh, that depth of expertise, but also the breadth in terms of the multidisciplinary aspect, um, it's um, it, you're, you're going to be lacking for for the market that we're we're in. Great answer. Thanks for sharing. Let's wrap this up with kind of a big picture question. Uh, Sergio, you're a founder who's sort of shown a lot of grit and perseverance over many years, pivoting your company many times. Can you talk about how you've managed to reinvent yourself uh, time and time again? How do you do it? And what are some of the challenges? Well, number one, we've been supported by our investors through this process. So really, this experience would not be would not have happened without that support uh, on the other hand we've also been blessed with having very strong ment- mentors that uh, we've had the opportunity to to learn from but i think you know at the end of the day you really need to believe in this and uh we really believe that this uh this is the solution that uh has a place in the market and uh, and we've been working with physicians to make that happen. Most recently, you know, our team with uh, some physicians in Minnesota have done for the first time some of these minimally invasive therapies or or surgeries using this holographic experience uh, in the world, and uh, that's that's very exciting. We 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 get to push the envelope both from the technology side, but also from the clinical impact side. And when you're doing these things, you get to even meet the patients. So, so as a founder, right, I've had that a tremendous opportunity to see the 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 company from basically every point of view, be it the the code, the quality system, and the regulatory documents that I sign off on, uh, but also many times meeting the patients firsthand and the doctor saying, "This is the guy that uh, did that tool." And so it is a very humbling experience. And, and I'll tell you a quick story. Um, one of our supporters, we, we were a company that uh, graduated from the Fogarty Institute, which is a, uh, a medical device accelerator founded by Dr. Thomas Fogarty. He's a very famous doctor and inventor. He was an inventor of some of the balloon catheters some time ago. But when we were at the Fogarty Institute, just about the time that we got our first FDA clearance, he turned 80 and there was a big party for him. And so obviously we were invited to the party. And in that party, there was a very nice presentation about his life and about how his catheters have been used in 20 million patients. Some of those patients were at the party. So, you know, again, naive engineer, very proud of just getting my product through the FDA 
and we were in the first discussions of getting it into use in some hospitals, all of a sudden that realization that you know our code was going to be making some actual decisions uh, decisions on uh, on patients became very very tangible, and so it's something that we take very seriously. And uh, again, very rewarding because we've been fortunate to really impact patients' lives in terms of some of the congenital programs. Congenital heart defects tend to be very young patients. We've had experiences where physicians have told us that the use of our software has helped extend the life of patients between 20 and 30 years. Or now that we're doing more adult procedures where you know the quality of life of these patients is really, again, allowing them to have a good time in retirement or with their families. And so that's also, it's a very different space than, uh, than when you're, you know, you're selling an app. And, and that really has been probably what has allowed us to understand how to maneuver and how to be able to maintain the discipline to keep the technology growing and, and keep the business growing in terms of value to get to where we are. That's some incredible work and, and a, a lovely story. Thank you for sharing. Before we get out of here, for the listeners who want to reach you and maybe learn more about EchoPixel, uh, what's the best way to do that? Uh, Twitter, LinkedIn? Yeah, so definitely our webpage, echopixeltech.com. And uh, we do, there is a, uh, a Twitter page that is uh, EchoPixel underscore Inc. We have a LinkedIn page, which is EchoPixel. And there's an Instagram Instagram page, which is EchoPixel underscore Inc. And even a Facebook account, which is EchoPixel Tech. But all of those links are on our webpage, EchoPixelTech.com. Fantastic. So the listeners uh, who are intrigued, you have a, a few areas to follow EchoPixel, Echo and uh, we'll, we'll keep getting those updates there. We're going to end the show there. If you liked it, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating. Sergio, thanks for joining the show. Uh, we appreciate your time today and would love to have you back on at some point in the future. Sure. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah.